You're listening to the Catholic Fragments Podcast, where we explore the treasures of Catholicism, the fullness of truth revealed in Jesus Christ and His Church. I'm your host, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and I invite you to join me in gathering up the fragments of the truth that sets us free. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the first letter of St. John, chapter 4. Beloved, do not trust every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they belong to God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ come in the flesh belongs to God. And every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus does not belong to God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, that, as you heard, is to come, but in fact is already in the world. You belong to God, children, and you have conquered them, for the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They belong to the world. Accordingly, their teaching belongs to the world, and the world listens to them. We belong to God, and anyone who knows God listens to us, while anyone who does not belong to God refuses to hear us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deceit. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Sister Miriam of the Holy Spirit, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Catholic Fragments Podcast. I'm Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and what a gift it is to introduce a wonderful contemporary Carmelite mystic, Jessica Powers. I have made it an essential part of my daily prayer routine to read one poem by this 20th century American discalced Carmelite nun, Jessica Powers. I find her poetry to communicate the Carmelite charism and mission with great clarity, creativity, and authenticity. In this episode, we will feature her poem, revised in 1984, entitled The Vision. So let's hear about the background of Jessica Powers a bit before we get into this poem called The Vision. Agnes Jessica Powers was born in 1905 in Mauston, Wisconsin, of Scotch and Irish descent. She loved nature. She loved her Scotch-Irish heritage and had a very thickly Irish grandmother who taught her the Gaelic language and songs, and these come up in her poetry at times. So she seems to have quite a healthy family life and childhood, but then when she was 11 11 years old, her older sister Catherine died at the age of 16 of tuberculosis 
a very sad event in her life. And then only two years later, her father died of a heart attack while he was moving some coal at the parish. She went on, Jessica did, to attend Marquette University for about a year to study journalism, but then interrupted her studies to work as a secretary in Chicago while living with an aunt, and then cared for her two brothers following this time, Johnny and Danny, and the family farm after the death of her mother. She did this between the years 1925 and 1936. So for 11 years, she's helping raise her brothers and tend the family farm back in Wisconsin. Then she has this opportunity to care for the children. You could say do some nannying. The children of Anton and Jessica Pegis in Tuckahoe, New York. And Anton was a doctorate in philosophy, a Thomistic philosopher who had studied, I believe in Toronto, with a famous French Thomist, Etienne Gilson. So she spent four years in Tuckahoe, New York, doing some nannying. Then in 1941, in the midst of the time of World War II, at the age of 36, she entered the Carmel of the Mother of God Discalced Carmelite Community in Pewaukee, Wisconsin, just outside Milwaukee, eventually receiving the religious name Sister Miriam of the Holy Spirit. She would die in 1988 at the age of 83 of a serious stroke. But during her life, Jessica Powers wrote over 400 poems and published several books of poetry, including The Place of Splendor and The House at Rest. She referred to her poems as songs. She also published them in many magazines and other syndicated publications. Most of her mature poems relate to Carmelite spirituality and the mystical experiences of a Carmelite contemplative. I was introduced to Jessica Powers, Sister Miriam of the Holy Spirit, and her poetry by a family friend named Jim Sullivan, who was in my mother Linda's uh, small Christian community at the parish of St. John the Evangelist in Benton Harbor, Michigan. And my mother died back in 2013. On the day of her funeral, her friend Jim and uh, his wife Mary, both in her small Christian community, gave me the book of the selected poetry of Jessica Powers, published by the Institute of Carmelite Studies Press. And he also included a typed note uh, with this book. He gave it to me in person uh, at St. Bernard Catholic Church in Benton Harbor, Michigan, where my, mo my mother's funeral was. And I just wanted to share the note that he gave me accompanying the gift of this book, introducing me to Jessica Powers and her poetry. He writes, Dear Donnie, this is the final collection of Jessica Powers' poems that we briefly discussed after your mother's funeral. 
The poem on the cards we gave you is on pages 22 and 53. So Jim and Mary Sullivan had made these, these prayer cards with some poetry of Jessica Powers, which were passed out at my mother's funeral. And then he goes on to say, another poem that I found applicable to your mother is Suffering on page 106. About a year ago, perhaps a bit longer, I sent her a copy. She sent me a very gracious thank you note that ended with the words, quote, unquote, a real keeper. If you find these poems as beautiful as I do, I recommend two additional books, Poetry as Prayer, Jessica Powers by Bishop Morneau and Winter Music, A Life of Jessica Powers by Dolores Leckie. For Mary and me, your mother was truly a gift from God to whom we will always pray. Best wishes, Jim Sullivan. So from that point on, I could not help continuing to read the poetry of Jessica Powers, especially as my wife Megan and I became third order Carmelites, secular discalced Carmelites, just before the time of my mother's passing into eternal life. And I've been so impressed with her poetry. Every day that I get a chance to read one of her poems, at this point I'm reading them uh, for the, I don't know, sixth, seventh time <laughs> each poem. But I just keep going back to the beginning of her books of poetry and read one a day, one a day. Because the poetry is so potent, this is all I can handle. <laughs> just one a day, and it really feeds my soul. And it helps me as a third order Carmelite to remember this Carmelite vocation, what it's all about, and how beautiful, mysterious, and hidden it is. So this poem is entitled The Vision, which Powers revised in 1984. So I'm going to read the poem in full. And then I'll go back and highlight some parts of the poem. And with every interpretation of a poem, we risk reducing it to less than it is, less than it gives. That's the beauty of poetry. It always gives more than we might think, or more than the last time we read it. This is why we can read poems over and over and in a real way, they never get old because their meaning is an endless well. So let's hear The Vision by Jessica Powers. He said, write down the vision that you had, and I wrote what I saw. I saw the world kissing its own darkness. It happened thus. I rose to meet the sunrise and suddenly, over the hill, a horde appeared, dragging a huge tarpaulin. They covered unwary land and hapless city, and all sweet water and fields, and there was no sunrise. I strained my eyes for a path, and there was no path. I bumped into trees, and the bushes hissed at me and the long-armed brambles cried in a strident voice, never through here. But I struggled on, 
fumbling my beads of no. I came to a dark city where nobody knew that there was darkness. And strange, though there was no light, I still could see what I did not want to see. People who moved to the loveless embrace of folly. They ate her gourmet foods. They drank her wine. Danced to her music that was crazed with rhythm. Were themselves discord, though they knew it not or if they knew, cared less. Outside the city wall, I stood in thought, parried a moment with a frightening urge to court the darkness. But I held back, fearing the face of love. Crossing a field, I wandered through a desert when suddenly behind a rock I found a little sagebrush where a fire was burning, shining and dancing. After my first amazed worship of silence, I was loud with praise. I watched with fear the darkness circling it, lunging against it, swirling a black cloak to suffocate the light until the shades broke loose and one by one in terror fled. The flame burned on, innocent, unimperiled. There was no darkness that could put it out. So that is a reading of the poem by Jessica Powers entitled The Vision. And I just want to share a little bit of my own interpretation of the poem. It's wonderful when people can share their own respective interpretations of a poem like this and get insights from one another. So I would love to hear your interpretation too. Uh, feel free to email me uh, about your interpretation of the poem. I'd love to hear from you and, and what stood out to you in this text. But I'll just make a couple highlights. Um, and when I read a poem like this, of course I cannot help but related to my own personal life experience and many occasions that uh, I've been confronted with darkness, uh, either temptation, actual sin, witnessing the sin of other people. And it can be very sad and very depressing sometimes when we're met by so much darkness. Even today, I was praying to God, and, and I remembered that to be a follower of Christ is to be a person of hope. It's to be a person of light, that we believe that the darkness has not snuffed out the light of Christ, but the light of Christ fills the darkness gives presence to absence, gives goodness to its lack. I'm so encouraged by our Savior in this way that he inspires us never to lose hope. But this poem is dealing with the reality of sin and darkness uh, and death, all of what St. Paul calls the works of the flesh in 
his letter to the Galatians chapter 5. The works of the flesh in contrast to the fruits of the Spirit. So let me go there very quickly to recall what St. Paul has to say about the works of the flesh in order to testify in the end to the fruits of the Spirit, which is what this poem is trying to do, I think, in the end. So St. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, that the flesh has desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you may not do what you want. He says the works of the flesh are obvious. The first one in Greek, porneia. It's actually where we get the English word pornography. Uh, this translation I have here just says immorality. We could say immorality to say the least. I know the Revised Standard Version says sexual immorality in particular. As St. Jerome says, and as I uh, quoted him in a previous podcast episode, a lot of difficulties come uh, in the loins and the human experience. St. Paul goes on to give a litany of the works of the flesh, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, rivalry, jealousy, outbursts of fury, acts of selfishness, dissensions, factions, occasions of envy, drinking bouts, orgies, and the like. He says, I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what Jessica Powers is describing here in this vision as she says, a world kissing its own darkness. She says she's simply writing what she sees in the vision. She rose to meet the sunrise, symbolizing the light of Christ, ad orientum, the facing east where the sun rises. And yet suddenly over a hill a horde of, appeared, a crowd of people dragging a huge tarpaulin. A tarpaulin is like um, a funeral pall that's put over the casket, the, the white um, cloth that's laid over the casket. So signifying death, signifying this, in this case, a drowning out in an eclipse of the sunrise, covering the whole lands, hapless city, all sweet water and fields, and there was no sunrise, she says. So then she's trying to find a path, but there's no path. She's bumping into trees. The bushes hiss at her. We think of the bramble of thorns. We think of the crown of thorns of Jesus here. We think of the persecution of Christ and all the martyrs and all the saints. And the opposition of the world in this kingdom of darkness to the children of light. Jesus promises us that we will face and need to endure persecution if we follow him. We will have to carry a cross. We will have to deny ourselves. One of my favorite lines of this poem then is how she says she struggled on fumbling her beads of no. So I think of the rosary beads here. Uh, which are also used for the chaplet of divine mercy, and what powerful prayers these are in the life of the church. The symbolism of all the devotions of the church, really the sacramental life of the church, this baptismal renunciation of the renunciation that is original sin and every personal sin. We must renounce the renunciation of evil and its glamour. 
So we will call the baptismal vows here that begin with the question, do you renounce Satan and all his works and all his empty promises? Do you refuse to be mastered by the glamour of evil? So she fumbles her beads of no. It's a struggle, this Christian life, to follow Christ, to resist the persecution and the temptation. But these beads of no are powerful because connected to them is the very powerful intercession of our Blessed Mother Mary, Mother of the Church, Mother of God, the Savior, and all the saints. These beads of no in which we pray the Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Glory Be, the Hail Holy Queen, the Apostles' Creed, the Fatima Prayer. These beads of no which are very intervening in this life of faith. So she keeps them active in her hand. Then she comes to this dark city, as she calls it, where no one knew that there was darkness. We recall the words of the prophet Isaiah, Woe to those who call the good evil and the evil good. This is one of the very devastating effects of sin, a dulling of conscience. Conscience. A dulling of conscience when a person starts to recognize the contrast between light and darkness, good and evil. When she sees what she did not want to see, people who move to the loveless embrace of folly, eating her gourmet foods, drinking her wine, dancing to her music that was crazed with rhythm. It reminds me of a passage in one of Josef Ratzinger's books about about liturgy, and he's talking about sacred music in contrast to profane music. And what we notice a lot with profane music is it has this dirge, this kind of crazed rhythm, and he talks about this, like even at certain rock concerts or or whatever, where there's just a pounding rhythm and everyone seems to be intoxicated by a meaningless beat where it moves into emotionalism and sensationalism, and again, an eclipse of reason, of intellect, and above all, God's revelation. And Power says that the people who she observed didn't know what they were doing, and if they knew, they must care less, because they don't seem to be bothered by this darkness. But then she relates that outside the city wall, she stood in thought. It's a beautiful image there, too, that she's outside of this idolatry by the grace of God. And what else happens outside the city wall? The crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And so in Christianity, it's this movement of not simply escape, but a redemptive exodus out of the darkness of the city, only to return therein on Pentecost, the proclamation of the good news of salvation in Jesus by the power of God the Holy Spirit. And yet when Jessica is outside the city wall, renouncing what all this darkness is therein, she senses a moment of frightening urge to court the darkness herself, but holds back, 
fearing the face of love. Again, by the grace of God, what is the face of love? The face of Christ. She does not want to face the face of love with betrayal. She wants to face the face of love with fidelity. So she holds back from courting the darkness because of the power of his face, the grace of his face that is God the Holy Spirit. So in order to distance herself from the temptation she crosses, a field wanders through a desert and suddenly behind a rock. How much symbolism in the rock. The rock, who is St. Peter, the rock that signifies the Catholic Church, that signifies this foundation of faith. And here she finds a little sagebrush. It's interesting that it's small and that she had to find it behind the rock. She had to stoop to find it where a fire was burning, shining, and dancing. And she first worships in silence and amazement, but then becomes loud with praise. And she still sees this darkness threatening, circling this little sagebrush that is burning but not consumed, we think, Exodus chapter 3, Moses' encounter with God. I am who I am. And the darkness wants to suffocate the light, but it cannot, and its shades break loose one by one and in terror fled. We also think here of Jesus and the woman caught in the act of adultery by the lustful men who want to stone her to death, and they each leave one by one after Jesus says, he who is without sin, let him be the first one to cast the stone. So I, I hear all these biblical connections throughout the poem. In the last couple of verses, the flame burned on, innocent, unimperiled. There was no darkness that could put it out. And so we come back to that opening prayer from the first letter of St. John in the New Testament, chapter 4 where he says that you belong to God, children, and you have conquered them. You have conquered the darkness. You have conquered the demons. For the one who is in you, that is Jesus. That is the Most Holy Trinity. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And so we have the greatest confidence in following Christ. Even when we're met by this vision of this threatening, menacing darkness. We cling to Christ, the light. Symbolized especially within the church, the place of worship by the Easter candle. Christ, our light. I love sharing this poem of Jessica Powers with you. I hope you have drawn some benefit from it in listening to the poem and some brief passing commentary on it asking how it connects to your own life experience. So may we follow the example of Jessica Powers here, Sister Miriam of the Holy Spirit, in seeking the face of Jesus in places high and low, close and remote, outside and inside. For it is the face that looks upon us with delight and provokes a determined detachment from all that is not illuminated by its uncreated glory.
Thank you for joining me on the Catholic Fragments podcast, where you are equipped to think toward the whole, to pray from the heart, and to live as a witness.